0: Hi everyone, it's me again. Just another quick announcement before we get started. The Sydney Science Festival is on once again, and as usual, In-Situ Science is back. This time, not with one, but two live events. On the 15th of August, we'll be back at the Django Bar and the Camelot Lounge for another live podcast. We have another stellar lineup of scientists to discuss the weird and wonderful ways the life and science collide. And you get your chance to pick their brains and grow the scientists yourselves about what they do and why they do it. Tickets are online now, so visit InSituScience.com or search for Life vs. Science Live Podcast on the Sydney Science Festival website for more details. But before that, if you need a science warm-up event, the day before that, on the 14th of August, we're running our own Science Trivia Night. This will be a fundraiser for everything that Science does, so there will be prizes, raffles, games, all sorts of science trivia nonsense head to the Botany View Hotel in Newtown on the 14th of August. This one's a free event, so make sure you get there early, grab a spot, bring your team, and come up with your best science-themed team names. If you can't make it to the fundraiser but want to support In Situ Science, you can become an In Situ Science patron. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash science. You can pledge as little as a dollar a month to support everything In-Situ Science does, or visit InSituScience.com and look for the donate button to support what we do. I'll be there for each of our live events during the Sydney Science Festival, so if you see me, come up and say hi. I'm on this side of the microphone. I don't get to see or hear from you guys so much, so it'll be great to see some of you at these events. But until then, here's another regular not-live podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome back, you're listening to Institute Science, where each episode we meet a different scientist to find out what a life and career in science is like behind the scenes. I'm your host, James O'Hanlon, and this episode, I'm joined by geologist, mineralogist, petrologist, all that stuff, Tim Chapman. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Now, I have, to, I have a confession to make first up. I... I'm, I think, 79 episodes into this podcast yep. now. I think this is number 79. You're my first geologist. Okay, that's that's alright. <laughs> it's always good to have be the first. I don't <laughs> want to put the pressure on, but you know, <laughs> you're, you're standing for your whole field. Yeah. I think it's probably because I simply don't know a whole lot about geology <laughs> of all the fields of natural sciences. The one that I never really studied or got my head around was was geology. Fair enough. So yeah, I'm gonna yeah. be asking lots of really fundamental questions. Cool. Ask like, away, yeah. What's a rock? How do <laughs> define a rock? How do
1: you <laughs> So well a rock <laughs> gone? Is is there a technical definition? Well it's just a um, aggregate of minerals. So <laughs> <laughs> Okay, here's the stupid question. First so top. what's what's a mineral? That too. All right. <laughs> that one first. Go. So a mineral is an ordered arrangement of um, atomic elements. Oh, all right. Uh, so a bunch of different uh, elemental compositions become arranged in a crystal lattice. All right. And then minerals make up rocks. So you have multiple, usually multiple minerals yeah. to make up a, an aggregate, which is the rock.
0: Is ice a mineral
1: then? Yes. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Exactly, yeah, yeah. So ice is is a mineral.
0: Okay. And so so other solids that are just sort of aggregates in a not ordered fashion? You can get
1: uh, amorphous um, material. So it's just an arrangement of uh, elements, but they're not in an ordered fashion. Um, And And they're not minerals. Yep and then the other one is glass Mm. so it's not in an a um arranged crystalline lattice so it's just a it's just a solid but -hmm. not a mineral so yeah yeah
0: (laughs) all right i'm already lost i'm already (laughs) (laughs) all right so so things like silica would be different to glass
1: Potentially, yes. So like the, s- <laughs> the standard glass that we see is, see is usually uh, some sort of silica dioxide. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the arrangement of the atoms is not necessarily in you know, a combined mm. um, arrangement with like in a silica tetrahedra or something like that. So then it's um, they're just largely f- floating in a somewhat mm-hmm. more random or disordered yeah. pattern. But if they combined together... You can form something like quartz, which is just silica, uh, oxygen, silica and oxygen. Mm. So there's a, that's the subtle differences. Although most of the glass that we have is usually full of other impurities as well. So there's some other some other elements hanging around.
0: All right. So if glass is made of this stuff that's not ordered, sort of floating around, mush around. Yeah. Is that where this idea of glass flowing over time comes from?
1: Uh, well, yeah. So glass can actually, with, under its own weight or under gravity, will actually be um, deforming as well. But all
0: right, so that's a thing. I always thought that yeah. was an urban myth.
1: No, no. I think it, it, at the bottom of a, like a windowsill, theoretically, over time you'll have end up with more glass at the bottom. Oh, because um, just under gravity, it all should flow to the bottom.
0: Because so, I remember hearing that if you go to old buildings and old cathedrals, mm. you look at the windows, they're wider at the base Well, that, yeah. than they are at the top. Yep. But then I also heard that that was something to do with the manufacturing process back then. And well,
1: that's true. I'm not, not 100% sure on the manufacturing. But in a theoretical sense, uh, yes, that should be an artifact of it. Nice. Yeah, yeah.
0: There you go. I'm already learning <laughs> about basic ge- <laughs> <laughs> geology. Well, non-mineral geology. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. So we we, we still count them.
1: And yeah. so then and then the other probably the geological famous glass is um obsidian. So mm. for Game of Thrones fans, <laughs> dragon glass <laughs> yeah. is is a um is is a glass that's formed through geological process through volcanic processes mm. and it's not pure uh silica. It's got a range of other elements in there, iron and magnesium and aluminium. Right. And, uh, and is
0: that what would give it its colour, just the stuff in it?
1: Oh, uh, and the reflective um, oh. properties are actually, do keep diffracting the light properties so it actually becomes very dark.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, so that usually forms when it comes out of a volcano and cools very quickly. Yeah. And so it d- the elements don't have time to arrange themselves in some sort of ordered fashion. Mm would uh, so they would rather be in a, a crystal or a mineral, but if it cools fast enough, they just don 't have that time, so they end up as a glass
0: so hi as a geologist mm? how much fun is minecraft
1: <laughs> or is
0: this just too distracting and inaccurate <laughs> oh well it uh, 's <laughs>
1: distracting but there is since is some um you know, reality there, and it, <laughs> <laughs> and it is a good purpose about where things are coming from and what are, yeah. what where are elements associated. And
0: I feel like it's got to be a great foot in the door to teach kids about mm. this stuff because I hear yeah. my nieces and nephews ramble on about <laughs> obsidian and sandstone and all these things that weren't in yep. my vocabulary when I was six. You know, yeah,
1: yeah. And then the other one is to uh, pull someone's uh, phone out. Yeah, yeah and go well what what actually goes in this because yeah. you, you walk around with it, and mm-hmm. it's like so what goes in it, and where does it come from? Yeah. So taking that minecraft to the ne- the next level it's like well so what what elements make up your phone, and mm. where on earth do we get them from yeah uh, and so that's sort of trying to get the point across that geology does have a purpose, and it's not just yeah stamp collecting and
0: <laughs> My other stupid question that I was going to ask yeah, yeah, so I know in biology we have generic terms. Yep. Like bug or fly or things that people would just throw around. Yep. But in biology, they they can be quite specific. Yep. In geology, (laughs) are are there specific meanings of rock versus pebble versus boulder?
1: Yes. Versus stone. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, (laughs) so, uh, So usually the common ones that we end up having are like sand. Mm. Um, which most people will perceive as a generic term is actually a specific size of yeah. g- of grains yeah. um, that we're talking about. So, uh, the same as mud and um, and clay, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so they actually will have a uh, a, a direct um, size meaning in sedimentary right. rocks. Yeah. And gravel is the other one. Um, so, they although they are used. Generically, mm. for us, they have a very defined meaning, yeah, um, and don't necessarily mean the what's on our beach. And that, does
0: that just keep going up to to Boulder? Yep. And then keeps
1: going up to Boulder. Yep. Uh, Is
0: what's beyond that mountain? Uh, I think
1: by that stage we're usually groaned. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, it's just a big rock. <laughs> <On it>. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah, the lithosphere or something like that. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> and so, what are you working on at the moment?
1: so i've got a, doing a range of things um, mm. so i've actually working on sort of uh, large scale volcanic processes in the in the crust and thinking about you have these periods um, in earth and along particular plate tectonic margins where we have um, subducting uh, oceanic material mm-hmm. under under continental material so what we Called the Ring of Fire, so sort of around Japan and the edge of the Pacific, mm-hmm. where we get most of our um, volcanism on the on the um, on the continents.
0: So this is the the places where our two continental plates are well, so kind of colliding, <laughs> or so
1: a continental and an oceanic plate. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, and so then the oceanic plate uh, is denser, so it will actually um, go beneath the continental material mm-hmm. and and start sinking into the mantle.
0: Yeah, all right. So I think we spoke with Marissa on the podcast before about the mid-ocean
1: ridges where new crust is formed. This yep. is the other side of that this conveyor belt. Yeah, exactly. it's yep. going down underground again. Yeah. Right. So this is the d- sort of the destructive end of that conveyor mm-hmm. belt, and uh, there during that process we actually generate a lot of melt initially in the in the mantle, which comes through into the into the crust, and that drives. Um, our sort of classic volcanic um, processes that everyone sort of sees, the Mm, nice conical uh, volcanoes that are spewing ash and whatnot out of the top of them. So
0: is that about
1: just that disturbance
0: there pushing up whatever is not solid below the crust or is it more about the energy there creating lava?
1: So, yeah, so... The, it's a sort of a combination of both. So mm. you actually have a an energy a favorable energy condition in the mantle where you can actually generate uh, liquid. Oh, right. um, so the mantle is solid, as mm. much as we everyone envisages as being a big pool of lava. Yeah. And um, at a subduction zone, you actually will release some water from the downgoing uh, oceanic material, and that will actually drive some uh, magma generation in the mantle it will actually mm-hmm. lead to a melting right. and then that can push through and then we do have a space issue of <laughs> moving a liquid into into a solid mm-hmm. and, and then we can drive more interactions that will actually lead to it coming out of the surface
0: yeah so being a would you call yourself a volcanologist then or is that is that another term
1: <laughs> that is another term yeah. i'm not uh, primarily a volcanologist <laughs> uh because i usually look at the material that was within the crust mm. and so the, okay. the lava that is crystallized in the crust and uh, so to form like granites and things like that and using them to assess uh, in the past how much material might have been there because right, so you're
0: not looking at active volcanoes
1: no, no my ones have been very very dead for a while good that is going to be my question i was always <laughs> told that Australia doesn't have any no, <laughs> no, we don't have any. So yeah. uh, I, the current ones that I'm exploring are about 250 million years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and so n- commonly the first thing that gets eroded in volcanic environments is the, is the material that, that is on the surface. Mm-hmm. So the, the ash and the, uh, the lavas that form on the surface commonly get eroded um, fairly quickly mm-hmm. and we're left with the material that was... Uh, crystallized in the in the in the um, in the deep crust okay. and so that has a better chance of surviving so we have to sort of piece together in the past from from that information mm. um, what might have been going on and, and how much material mm. might have been coming through
0: so is that essentially the work you're doing we have a, a landscape which to people like me would just look like a bunch of rocks and dirt yep. and you go in and can piece together.
1: Yeah, yeah, so we have to, usually we've been working on trying to date the rocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we use um, usually isotopic methods that will be a timekeeper for us. Mm-hmm. And then we try to establish, um, you know, how much of these rocks are occurring at the same time and, and was that in the environment or the tectonic environment that we envisaged.
0: Since yeah. you've mentioned isotopes, yep. I have this running uh, challenge on the podcast that comes up every now and <laughs> again. Can you explain isotopes? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: so uh, an isotope is uh, an element with a certain balance of electrons. Mm-hmm. No, sorry, a certain imbalance between electrons and neutrons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so uh usually um, each so most elements they will have a few isotopic um, members depending on their balance of that uh, so it's
0: the same type of element
1: yes, but with a slightly different um, neutron electron yeah. balance, and so it has a slightly different weight. And so usually the ones we use are the radiogenic ones, so classic uranium and lead, um, where we will actually measure um, the proportions of uh, daughter and parent isotopes. So uranium um, will actually, certain types of uranium will actually break down and transform into uh, certain types of lead Mm. over time. And if we can accurately measure that proportion, we can actually determine how old that um, mineral uh, is. Okay, so that's just... You get a single rock. Yep. Well, a pebble, whatever. Single, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> a single rock. Well, it will actually get down to a single grain, okay. usually. So there's a certain certain mineral called zircon, which mm. has, it actually takes on a lot of uranium mm. during its formation, but it takes on very limited amount of lead. Mm-hmm. And so over time... It will that uranium will transform to lead, mm-hmm. and that balance is enables us to look and go, okay well, how long has it taken was mm. based on the proportions of uranium lead, how long has it's taken since that mineral formed
0: All right, so you know it formed with this amount of uranium yep,
1: so and, and, and then know how
0: fast that decays exactly yep, yeah
1: and then then we can go oh, okay this this mineral was. You know, two hundred and fifty million years old, mm. um, and so that that gives us our our, our watch <laughs> about <laughs> when our rocks are forming or when that mineral is forming mm. um, in in the geological past.
0: That's good. And I think we've talked about using isotopes for shark aging, uh, food web building. There and you go. Rock dating. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah. <It's
1: laughs> isotopes are the are <laughs> the way forward. <laughs> uh,
0: I was going to ask too about. You know, when you go out into a landscape mm-hmm. to do these things, I speak to lots of ecologists on this podcast, and it's great hearing the way that they can read a landscape. Yep. They can just sort of go out and just from the general vibe of the thing, get an idea of, all right, this is a gully and nutrients are going to be flowing through here, and this is why we have this vegetation, or yep. there was a tree fall here probably so long ago, and this is why there's a clearing doing this, blah, blah, blah. Is that something you can do as a geologist
1: yep yeah very much so uh, so we will go and we look at uh we we'll, we'll first identify our rocks mm. <laughs> and try and um put together there firstly what rock they are that would tell us where they might have formed mm-hmm. so uh certain rocks might uh form in within a river or a or a delta or something like that and then their association with a rock that might have formed in a lake tells us that that geological environment was changing Mm. um in the past so they they present proxies for in for uh, environmental uh systems Mm. and then as we see how they're associated they might be um influenced by some volcanic rocks or granitic rocks and that tells us that uh, they might have formed at the surface but they're now much deeper Mm. and they've undergone some sort of change so how much of this surveying is what
0: you see on tv how often do you sit in the dirt with a little rock pick (laughs) just chipping away at what's there and going "Ah, this place was under the ocean but usually a fair amount.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like to get out in the field, and yeah. you know, and so you you look at rocks, and we do spend a lot of time at certain outcrops, and <laughs> uh, some people find that fairly <laughs> boring. But you know, so we're we're we then, you know, are really trying to say, well, what can we see in the rocks and what does that tell about how they formed and where they formed? Mm. And and usually the big challenge for us is is also thinking about that through time mm-hmm. because these changes could have been happening on, you know, million... Well, they're probably happening on million-year timescales and so that that's usually the hardest thing to sort of go, well, is it relevant? Because it could be 100 million years older. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so, what we're interested in might be a different time package, or, or we might actually be interested in that gap itself.
0: Mm. So, what was happening in Australia two hundred and fifty million years ago at these
1: was it, it, dead volcanoes? It wasn't. It was an interesting place, and <laughs> so um, we actually had a, a large amount of material that was um, being volcanic material that was coming and magma coming into the crust at that time, and it's also a very significant time. Globally, So Australia would have been close to the um, South Pole. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it would have been very cold, Eastern Australia especially. Um, so we actually, and there was an, a major cataclysmic period of uh, extinction mm-hmm. around 250 million years ago, where I think we lost about 95% of marine species in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it could be that these periods of uh, heightened volcanism could be a contributor or a driver to some of that uh, stress to the ecosystem. Okay. Uh,
0: what, what era was this? This isn't dinosaur extinction? Type no, 10, this is, is
1: not. This is the end of the Permian. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the, the Eastern Australia, that's generally where most of our coal measures are. Were, were forming so okay. we had quite temp uh you know um wet um forest areas that ended up producing lots of coal uh <laughs> but yeah no dinosaurs unfortunately <laughs> <laughs>
0: what was the permian's uh poster child i know we, we've talked a lot in this podcast about um, the, the cambrian and those poster child yeah yeah well like
1: now a, you're pushing me because <laughs> what, what
0: what's the permian known for
1: i i i'm not you don't look at the things that were alive. <laughs> no, okay. I look. At, I just look at the rocks. I okay. did, it would have been. Uh, you would have been. Uh, you passed the age of the fish. Okay. Um. Yeah, I do. Yeah, there is there is a famous plant that was around for Eastern Australia called glossopterus at mm-hmm. that time, which was a uh, prominent throughout much of uh, the Southern Hemisphere. Mm. Um, but yeah, in terms of animals, I'm less less equipped (laughs) (laughs) and so you're
0: also working on so you're working on minerals of this planet yes you're also working on minerals of other planets
1: yes yeah yep so i'm quite interested in um, processes that sort of uh, change minerals very extreme conditions, so Mm -hmm. very high pressures and temperatures. Like
0: these subduction zones?
1: Like subduction zones, yep. Yep. And so then the other thing is meteorites. Um, So they represent, uh, well, certain meteorites represent early uh, planetismals. So the the building blocks of planet in the solar system Mm -hmm. were small rocky material that eventually sort of amalgamated to form big rocky planets like Earth. Uh, And so certain meteorites, that have fallen onto Earth actually preserve a history of these sort of collisions of right. these small planetismals, and and during those processes, if the objects are quite large, you'll actually produce a big shock wave, mm. and that will uh, generate very high pressures um, and very high temperatures, which will actually transform the mineralogy of that meteorite mm. into quite unusual phases. And so, there's a nice tie-in back to subduction zones. That, the you know, deep within the Earth, these minerals in these meteorites one tell us about early planetary formation and what's going on at that stage. But they also tell us about what's beneath, very deep beneath our feet, in in the in the mantle Mm. of 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 Earth, because they that's the only (laughs) uh, pieces of minerals or any process of minerals that we can, we can gather that tells us about what's probably stable uh, deep in the mantle because we can't actually get material mm. from, uh, you know, from 660 kilometres depth into yeah, the earth. Yeah. Um, so so that
0: if we could, we, we think we'd find something that's a bit like yeah. what the planet was made of when it formed. Is that yeah. idea?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So these planetismals are chemically what was the building block of of earth Mm. and so they are retaining uh, those processes especially if we can get these collisions we can Mm. also generate uh, pressures equivalent to what is uh, is like in the middle of the um, of earth at the moment so
0: I guess you're only ever seeing these meteorites uh, post collision
1: yes yep
0: how do we know if we're seeing them in a changed state yep we figure out what they were before this
1: yeah so the the big advantage usually we get lots of meteorites um so we get some that have gone through uh collision events mm-hmm. and others that that have been nice and well preserved and the chemistry
0: on, how do how do we get a me-
1: meteorite that hasn't collided with the planet well it's <laughs> good point yeah yeah so it's collided with the planet but it usually that collision won't actually generate the um extent of the shock waves. So you'll get... So the shock wave actually affects a very small proportion Mm -hmm. of the meteorite and so you will have some parts of the meteorite that actually will escape those effects. Mm. But it is true to say that those shock effects will happen when it hits Earth Mm. Uh, and it'll actually affect the material it hits too. And so we sort of look at the material that escaped any effect from the the shock and material that did uh, get affected by the shock, and we can tell you know the compositionally they 're the same mm-hmm. it's actually the physical makeup of the mineralogy that's changed
0: does the fact that we can now land on asteroids change any of this stuff?
1: yeah, yeah, it makes it even more interesting to sort of put together uh sort of what is making up the solar system and mm. and so the, you know there's a big still a big question especially for Earth is one. How, you know how did life generate and also where did we get our water from mm. so you know, some people think that these uh, the water is coming from asteroids mm. uh, so they're less so the rocky meteorites and more so the sort of frozen comets. Comets, and they might be a people hypothesize that they might be a source of water uh, for earth when they bombarded Way back in, you know, four million years, four billion years ago, four point five billion years ago. Um, so, putting together these space aspects, mm. <laughs> together with things that have fallen on Earth, does generate a better picture of one yeah. how was Earth forming and what components were being brought to it from where.
0: So does that mean that the film Armageddon
1: <laughs> is this? Is that like the Jurassic Park for geologists or? It's, yeah, it, it's pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> there's a few other, you know, and then there's a, Dante's Peak, and there's, yes. a few, there's a few other ones, <laughs> which are, you know, uh, uh, variably <laughs> real and not. But yes, Armageddon is. Uh, <laughs>
0: I never thought of it as a geology movie, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's all it's about really. Yeah, yeah.
1: and you know, and uh, I think James Cameron and the like want to be mining. Um, yeah. Uh, meteors and asteroids and things mm-hmm. like that because they're a very big source of iron. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Whether that happens or not, I... <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the other one I was going to bring up was the movie The Core. Did you ever see that Oh, one? yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> what did you, what's your
0: take on that one?
1: Well, it's, it's extreme fantasy. <laughs> yeah. can,
0: can you remember the premise?
1: I can remember the premise that we would... Um, Use some nuclear warheads to restart. The convection, <laughs> <laughs> which would just energetically w- wouldn't do anything. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can see that. And then there's a few other issues like such as drilling into a large void in the earth full of diamonds and yeah, things. <laughs> yeah that's
0: right. <laughs> when
1: old you know is, uh, physically burn. Yeah, they? yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, that's the other one. Journey to the center of the earth. Ah. Um, so because it was what was it? The molten core
0: of the earth stopped. Yes, spinning or something. Yes,
1: and so, so they needed to put a a nuke in there to uh, <laughs> to kick it going. You know, like a yeah. nuke's good for everything.
0: Yeah, because <laughs> if the core stops spinning, then we lose our magnetic uh, uh, magnetic mag- sh- yeah. shields and pigeons uh, uh, fall into the sky and whatever else. Exactly. Yeah,
1: as as it, as, it, as the story goes. Yeah, is,
0: is there any <laughs> premise whereby the core might stump?
1: Not that I, <laughs> not that I'm aware of, and so the one, the one thing it might do is you do get a swap in the magnetic yeah. field, yeah. Um, but in terms of it stopping, less likely. But at some stage in the uh, the north and south pole will swap.
0: <laughs> and is that something to do with what's going on in the the core of the planet?
1: Yeah, so it's something that's largely hard to establish. We know this happens throughout geological mm. past, but why it's going on, we know. The magnetic um, field is controlled by the core, but mm. it's very hard to actually establish what's going on down there. Yeah. And so, uh, throughout geological time, the uh, magnetic field will reverse and and swap between what's normal now mm. and 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 change around. So, right. and
0: we're due for one, right?
1: Yes, yeah, yes. So we're going to be Australia's going to be on top. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: so yeah yeah
0: so being a geologist there i feel like when i was going through undergrad i did a whole bunch of uh i did mostly marine geology yep. units there was a whole lot of looking at M diatoms yep. yeah yeah that sort of stuff and there is this sort of general vibe <laughs> amongst people doing ge- geology that well, if the whole science career doesn't work out, I'm just going to go get a job at some oil and gas company prospecting. Yeah, yeah. Is, is that a reality in <laughs> geology
1: world? So, uh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, a great deal of geologists end up working in industry mm. and p- primarily sort of exploration. And, mm. you know, so unfortunately that that's oil, but it's also uh, minerals that are, you know, like we said, is influential for people's phones and, mm. and, and for steel and products that we use Mm. so there's that side of things and then there's also geologists working for in infrastructure so uh, understanding you know what's the condition of the ground and how is that going to influence us building a bridge or a tunnel and things like that and and then there's also the the ones looking at natural hazards um, so vol- volcanoes yeah. and, and and those sort of aspects. So you know, it is a bit more diverse than yeah. <laughs> just all all of us looking for petroleum. But <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit, <laughs> but yeah, there there is, that is predominantly where most geologists yeah. work. And and so, but in Australia, most end up working in the minerals side of things because that's uh, we've got more mi- more uh, minerals, economic minerals. Mm. deposits then we really do have petroleum and, and so, the so
0: what's kept you in academia not chasing the <laughs> bright lights and big bucks
1: of, of gas it's, exploration it's the it's the pure problem solving that yeah. I i i just i enjoy actually sort of looking at the problems and sort of being well fundamentally what's what's happening yeah. and how is that controlling controlling how earth forms and the mm. processes that drive drive earth so yeah, yeah, that's it's not
0: like shells knocking on your door. Come on, Tim, we need your your skills. Unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately, not. <laughs> Maybe
1: if they were, I would. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but you, I mean, you never know. <laughs> I mean,
0: this stuff you're doing, like you said, it's the the period you're working is in is when lots of the coal deposits
1: yep. were formed. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, is the stuff that you're doing in any way applicable to? those well, fields are you, are you going to stumble across a whole new <laughs> new mining site
1: <laughs> so i think the stuff i'm working on is applicable as as a driver of that those coal formation mm. but i'm not necessarily looking and trying to find out yeah. where more coal is um so it's more giving an indication of what processes mm. could have contributed to um you know, the ecosystems yeah collapse and things like that so um yeah yeah, i'm I'm, I'm avoiding the uh
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i guess we we all know that prospecting isn't again just going out with a pickaxe until you hit
1: something (laughs) right (laughs) Theoretically, no. No, it's gonna be a bit more complicated. Yeah, yeah, it can be. Well, they do, and usually they say in something like minerals that uh, if you work in exploration, you find one deposit in your career, you've done well. well yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the success well, yeah. rate is quite small. You, I guess you can't really go out there with that as a goal. It's about like yeah, hoping yeah, yeah.
0: you find a new species. Yeah. As a zoologist, like there's, there's got to be other things. Exactly. Along, right? Yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> and so, where did the fascination with geology start? Did you watch Armageddon and <laughs> as a kid and go, right? That's it.
1: So, largely, I was always been interested in being outside, mm. being outdoors, and then just sort of driven by understanding what is that makes up the uh, the environment that we live in. So, mm. do we, how do these things get here, and how did they form? And so. It sort of was was that, and then stumbled into geology at mm. <laughs> a bit at school and at university. And went, oh, this is really quite interesting. And, mm. and the thing that I think uh, I really enjoy is really trying to understand things that are going on at depth mm. uh, in the Earth, because it's something that we can't usually see on the on the surface and get a clear picture. You it's yeah. sort of like, well, what is going on down there, and and how do we know? How do we put that puzzle together? Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, so sort of driven from that, and yeah, although Armageddon is a good movie, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you want to see things at depth, though, is it about inferring from what's on the surface?
1: Yep, yeah, yeah. So, inferring from things that uh have come back up to the surface, mm. uh, and then we sort of piece together and sort of go, well, what, what could be going on? Mm. Um, and and minerals and rocks, uh, although you know there can be incomplete records they usually preserve enough for mm-hmm. us to be able to start to put together the story um and so it can be quite a uh, fun process of sort of looking at it and go well, uh, how did we get to this point yeah, yeah, yeah. and and what can we pull out to sort of say well it formed at these conditions in this environment and and piecing that together to say well this is how uh, this is how the earth works how much
0: does the the Anthropocene stuff up geology for guys like you (laughs) you know you go out and you just look at something like a road yep where they've shipped in a whole ton of gravel or or an artificial beach or something or they've just gotten yeah yeah so the from one part of the planet moved around
1: so the classic one usually is uh uh for like road deposit they would commonly use um so slag so iron that's been um Worked, and mm. so commonly people will look at it and go, oh, "Is this a is this a meteorite or a volcanic rock?" <laughs> and you know, and then it's completely human, yeah. human made, and so that's very common. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it is that balance, and you sort of we're having to make sure that you know what we're looking at is we feel feel comfortable that it is uh, something from the past, mm. um, but at the same time, all that human influence is our friend because you know <laughs> they cut new road cuttings and they they expose new rock or, mm. and and things like that which enable us to actually go or well, maybe we can reassess this area when uh, you know, otherwise it might be highly weathered mm. but you know i do know people that will actually look completely at things like the Anthropocene where you have um, rocks that form with say like a coke bottle in them Mm. And there's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful um, time marker because you can look up the serial number <laughs> <laughs> and tell you sure. how old, uh, tell you how old the rock is. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't need any fancy, uh, yeah, really accurate <laughs> way of measuring
0: <laughs> rocks. the hundred years from now, if it's got yeah. a bit of a furby in it, exactly. You're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you so just yeah. <laughs> there it is. So, um,
1: yeah, yeah. So it's about sort of that change in you know, plastics of. Uh, uh, you know sort of ubiquitous in the the oceans and things like that now, and they are progressively building up into rocks and mm. things like that the more recent form rocks and so yeah, what's to say that in however many year, years into the future that's what people will really be interested yeah. in saying well that's what these <laughs> these humans <laughs> well, us humans were doing, <laughs> and this is our effect on the on the, on the geological record I mean, particularly
0: when you look at like a mind site. And even if it gets rehabilitated or whatever that yep. involves, that's that's going to be a big footprint yep. on the yeah, planet. Yeah.
1: Yep, to look at in a couple of centuries' time, right? Yep, and and. And it all comes back into having that sort of like, well, why is there a hole here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then it it'll we have to have that different perspective of, oh, there was this, this species going around, or mm. uh, well, us <laughs> that was yeah. going around changing things, and so it's not necessarily a natural. Well, it's not a truly natural process. It's yeah. it's it's a uh, it's an artifact of <laughs> human endeavour. Yeah, and so. so
0: we're here in Armidale. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I'm constantly doing the drive between Armadale and Sydney. Yep. And you go past the big so open cap mines towards Singleton and those areas. Yep. As a, an ecologist, lefty pink or nut, I <laughs> drive past there and just get this sense of dread. Yep. These big open holes in the grind. But do you see that and go, oh, look at all those exposed strata? <laughs> like, <laughs>
1: So I'm not, a, I'm not a, you know coal isn't my thing <laughs> <laughs> so i usually look at it go from the same perspective and go yeah. wow that's a bloody big hole and it's quite sad to see yeah. that in in a, a very pleasant place mm. and that the impact of mining is, you know it, it does become like well uh, how stuff is important but you know is there a better way to mm. sort of manage that system and yeah. especially for the uh, animals and <laughs> all of those aspects which are still part of the uh mm. the environment and geology being an aspect of that so you know yeah yeah mm. it is an issue but at different times i have been into other mines <laughs> and it, sometimes it's advantageous to actually you know to have uh, a view where <laughs> where we can look a bit deeper into the into the crust but yeah
0: well like you said you mm. want to see what's what's at there? deeper
1: layers yeah yeah
0: there's a big, going to be a big giant hole in the ground anyway, may as well. That's it. Well, sometimes
1: that's it. You have to use use what you've got. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, yeah. But it's not particularly pleasant to drive past, I, <laughs> I will admit. <laughs> no.
0: oh, the the only alternative is doing what they did in the core and build a laser train. Let's <laughs> do just it. Just tunnels. <laughs> a nice little subtle tunnel.
1: Yeah. And then we'll find some diamonds. Yeah. One, <laughs>
0: one of the big geodes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: A big void in the middle of the earth. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Well, for anyone listening, check out the core <laughs> or, <laughs> Armageddon. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Well, well Tim, thank you. If people want to find more about your research, they can just Google Tim Chapman Research.
1: Yep. UNA. And yeah, yep,
0: find your publications list, all that sort of stuff.
1: That's it. Just and hopefully there'll be some more there soon.
0: No worries. (laughs) Send him all your questions about the science behind... Natural disaster movies. <laughs> yep, and exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm gonna chase up this glass thing and see if it really yes, yeah, yeah, flows in all cathedral
1: windows. Yep. All right. Well, there's a couple in town, so you can. Uh, yes, I okay. can. <laughs> all right, <laughs> that's good. All right, thanks so much. Thank you, and thank you
0: guys for listening. Check us out on social media at Institute Science, or check out everything else we have on InstituteScience.com. Don't forget to check out our new Patreon page where you can help support the podcast and everything else we do thanks again and we'll see you next time